Welcome, everyone. We're glad to have each of you here, visitors and non, I mean, regulars, whoever you are, we're glad to have you. I was going to say non-visitors, but <clears throat> we're, we're going to start in a season of Advent now, and we will be, <clears throat> for the next four weeks, looking at the Advent of our Lord, and, and the word Advent is just, is a, it just means coming, His coming. Um, so we talk about His first coming at Christmas so many centuries ago, but He's also promised a second coming. He's going to come again. And Advent, since the early church, has been celebrated really with a probably a stronger focus toward his next coming, his next Advent. And it's a season of waiting. It's a season of, um, of waiting to remind us that we are waiting for his coming. Now, God willing, I have my daughter who lives in Croatia is going to get on a plane Wednesday morning with her two little girls and fly to Detroit, Michigan. And God willing, Wednesday night, we're going to pick her up. And so we're waiting for my daughter and granddaughters. We're waiting for their coming and in a very similar way, we today are waiting for the coming, the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look forward to his next coming. And as we get closer to Christmas, we're going to focus back on his first coming as a baby. <clears throat> um, but I just want you to think of that in your mind as we think of Advent season. What does it mean? It's talking about Christ's coming. And especially we have in view this morning his future coming. So I want to go with you to the book of Isaiah. This is in the Old Testament. If you're using the Black Pew Bibles, that's page 696. Isaiah chapter 25 is a favorite passage of mine in the Old Testament. Isaiah lived approximately 700 years before Christ was born in Bethlehem, and he told about the coming of Jesus, his first coming. And Isaiah had lots of prophecies, and in chapter 24, he talks about a future time when God is going to shake the whole earth and bring judgment on the whole earth. And in chapter 26, he talks about those whose, whose mind is focused on the Lord, fixed on the Lord. He's going to keep them in his peace, even among these tumultuous times. But in chapter 25, he's talking about the day that is going to come when Jesus comes again and what that will be like for his people. And so I just want to draw your attention to it this morning and <clears throat> let's look at the things that are worthy of praise of our God in Isaiah 25 and what we have to look forward to as Christians. If we belong to Jesus Christ, all the promises of God in Jesus Christ are yes. That means these promises way back in Isaiah, hundreds of years ago, 
count for all those who belong to Jesus. So, I'm going to read it. Uh, it's just 12 verses long, but just before I read, let's, let's pray and ask God's help. Dear Lord, thank you for the Bible, and I thank you that Isaiah wrote these words centuries ago, and yet, Lord, they are so powerful and so wonderful to hope for and to look forward to when you come again at your next advent, your final advent. And Lord, I just ask today that you would help us to consider the truth of your word. And Lord, I'm asking that you would shape us, shape us with your word today. Uh, Affect our anxious thoughts with your word. Lord, the burdens that we carry I pray that your word would have an impact on those burdens and how we carry them today and how we roll them onto your shoulders. And Lord, would you please help us to fix our gaze on your coming? We would anticipate it. I ask that you I ask these things in Jesus name. Amen. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 25, beginning at verse 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. And Moab will be trampled down in his place as straw is trampled down in a dunghill. And he will spread out his hands in the midst of it as a swimmer spreads out his hands to swim. 
But the Lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skill of his hands. And the high fortifications of his walls he will bring down. Lay low and cast to the ground, to the dust. The word of the Lord. Now, obviously, Isaiah's writing at a time where there were things going on in Israel's history, in ancient Israel, that were pertinent to Isaiah's words. Like, for example, those last verses about Moab. Moab was a perennial enemy of Israel. They kept harassing Israel. If you remember, when Israel came out of Egypt, King Balak was the king of Moab, and he hired Balaam, the prophet, to go and speak a curse over the Israelites, and God would not allow it. Every time Balaam tried to open his mouth to curse, God filled his mouth with a blessing. And did it, he did that three different times. But we learn later in the Bible that Balaam says, well, we can't get them this way. I'll tell you a way you can get them. And that is send out the prostitutes among them. And uh, God, the children of Israel, fell, fell prey to prostitution and began to, to commit prostitution there in, at Baal Peor on their way toward the promised land. And uh, a great plague broke out among them because God punished them for that. But Moab was a, was, in, in this chapter, Moab represents an enemy of Israel at the end. And I think it's just representative of the enemies of all of God's people. I don't think, he, I don't think it's just, I don't think Isaiah is only talking about only Moab is going to be conquered. But I think he, 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 Moab is used symbolically of all the enemies of God's people. So in the first verses, the first five verses, uh, he talks about making the city a heap, a fortified city, a ruin. Um, these are plans that God has had long ago. I don't know if Isaiah there is talking about a particular conflict with Moab or if he's talking about when the Assyrians were surrounding Jerusalem and they begin to taunt the Israelites on the city wall saying, you guys are doomed to drink your own urine and eat your own f waste because we're going to destroy you. Which of the other gods of the nations that we've demolished before you has been able to save from our hand? The, the Assyrians were proud and arrogant. And if you remember King Hezekiah, Isaiah tells about this in, in the book of Isaiah. King Hezekiah goes and takes the letter from the king of Assyria, and spreads it out before the Lord in the temple. And he says, Lord, you've heard their threats. You see how they're taunting us. Work for the sake of your name. And king, the king says to the guys on the wall, don't answer them a word. But the king goes and prays to the Lord. And before Hezekiah gets out of the courtyard, the prophet of God meets him and says, this is what the Lord says. You tell, I, I'm going to put a hook in the nose of the king of Assyria and bring him back to where he was. And the Bible says that an angel of the Lord went out from the Lord and killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. So they not, and the Lord said to the prophet, not even an arrow, not even an Assyrian arrow is going to land in this city. And God miraculously delivered the Israelites and King Hezekiah. And so the Assyrians 
removed from Jerusalem and the city was spared by the grace of God. Maybe that's what he's talking about when he's saying the city is a ruined heap. Maybe he's talking about how the Lord in the past has overcome their enemies. I'm not sure specifically what he's talking about, but I think he's using symbolic language to say the Lord has dealt with our enemies in the past and he uses the, the term city in, the, in those early verses uh, to represent a stronghold of the enemies of God's people. But then as he comes down to verse 6, he changes, he switches from the past tense <clears throat> to the, the future tense. And now instead of talking about the city of their enemies, he's talking about the mountain of the Lord in verse 6. And this morning, what I'd like to do is just focus on <clears throat> verses 6 through 10, uh, for, through the first part of verse 10. <clears throat> and I'll just read that again. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples. What mountain is he talking about? He's talking about Jerusalem, Mount Zion. And that represents the people of God. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. And he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is Yahweh. <clears throat> Uh, when you see all capital, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's translating the Hebrew name of God, Yahweh, I am that I am. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let's be glad and rejoice in his salvation, for the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. Notice uh, the... the um, Verse 6 begins with, on this mountain, and verse 10a ends with, on this mountain. I think those are like bookends to this section between 6 and 10a. I think what the author is saying is, this is what God's going to do it, in the place of his people, for the sake of his people. He's going to do this. Um. So when we talk about the next advent of our Lord Jesus Christ, I think we have to look forward to these things. Look at verse 6. On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples. Now this is, this is the peoples of his mountain, his people, okay? Uh, from all nationalities, all the ethnic groups, for all peoples, all the peoples that will come to the true God through Jesus Christ, he will make a rich, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. Do you see the emphasis in verse 6 on the kind of feast? This isn't just going to be McDonald's. This isn't just going to be uh, takeout. 
This is going to be a rich feast. When the Lord comes again, he's going to bring us to be with him. And the Bible talks about the marriage feast of the Lamb. He's going to, in fact, the book of Luke says... He's going to gird himself, just like he did at that Last Supper. He's going to gird himself as a servant, and he will serve us at a feast, a rich feast full of really good wine, not just the cheap stuff, and the marrow and the fat. It reminds me of, uh, well, my, 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 I talk, talk about my daughter and granddaughters coming in from Croatia, God willing, this week. Uh, one time when we went, we went over there to visit them, she had arranged for us to go with a group of people to this special um, place called Mykovi. It's a, it's a little village kind of up in the foothills. And uh, there's a place over there where this family has this old um, uh, uh, olive mill where they would they would press the olives. They have an olive press, and this they've made it into an eating area where groups can come in, and it's just an amazing feast that they put on. They have they, they grow their own vegetables locally. They 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 raise their own goats that they uh, they make cheese from the goat's milk and blah 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 blah. It's just so so good. It's not cheap food. It's really, really good food. And the way you afford it is you, you get in with a group of people, you see, and you just pay a portion of it. Uh, but it reminds me the kind of feast that the Lord is preparing for, for those who know him is going to be really good. Amen. 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 And you know, it'll be, it'll be a kind of reunion. It'll be a kind of reunion with those who've gone before us. And it'll be a kind of reunion with each other where all of our junk will be put aside. It'll be banished. And we will be as we ought to be. Hallelujah. That feast he's going to make for all of those who love him back for his love for, for us, who love him in return. And then he goes on in verse 7, he's going to swallow up on this mountain the covering that's cast over the peoples, the veil that's spread over the nations. The Bible talks about, the Apostle Paul said, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled, it's hidden to those who are unbelieving. The God of this age has blinded their eyes so that they would not see the light of the beauty or the glory of Jesus Christ. Sometimes I mentioned last week, I think it was last week, um, I forget what I say more and more, um, but I think it was last week where I said you'd think that the good news is such good news that everybody would welcome it, but people actually, many people don't want to welcome it, and they think of... Um, as Richard Dawkins, a famous atheist, said, religion is the root of all evil. More and more people feel that way. More and more people believe that it, it, we're, the, we're the problem. We're the cancer in society. It's us weirdo Christians. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says it's because there's a veil that lays over people, the, the eyes of people's heart, and they cannot see 
the truth and the beauty of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> this verse is talking, I believe, about how that veil will be removed. He will swallow up on this mountain that covering that is cast over all the ethnic groups. And those who will be there will be there seeing and enjoying the beauty of the Lord. And in verse 8, he will swallow up death forever. There's a promise for you. Now, you know, I preached through Isaiah a long time ago, and uh, one of the things that struck me about this book, he's looking several places throughout the book, he's looking to the future about what the Lord's going to do. But the th one of the things that I remember is his language is language of permanence. Look at verse 8, first part of verse 8 again. He will swallow up death forever. At another place he goes, and there will, there will no, 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 no more, they, they'll beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, and neither will they learn war anymore. Do you hear that language of permanence? What Isaiah is talking about, what Isaiah is looking at in his book is a future time when, after which there's not going to be some sort of rebellion. There's not going to be uh, anything else to disrupt it. Death will be swallowed up forever. This is the uh, verse that I think the Apostle Paul is, has in mind in, in, in 1 Corinthians. We often hear it at funerals of believers when uh, 1 Corinthians 15, death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he said the, day's gonna, the day will come when it will, this will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up forever. And the Lord, look at the rest of verse 8, the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. Now, when it says all faces, it's all the faces of those who love Jesus. Those who are, are going to love his coming. Those who are on his mountain, okay? Uh, I just want to say... Um, it's, this is for those who bank their hopes on Jesus. That's what these promises are for. These promises are not for those who reject him and will not submit to him. But for those who do, he will wipe away tears from all faces. Isn't that sweet? This is, what, this is what God is talking about in Revelation 21 where he says, Death will be no more, neither will there be sorrow, crying, or pain. The former things have passed away, and he is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And, and you know what the Bible also says? Those tears matter. Those tears are not in vain. The I think it's Psalm 58 where it says he keeps, he counts all my tears and he keeps them in his bottle. I believe that's the scripture's way of saying those tears count for something. They're not 
empty, meaningless, random agony. But one of these days, he's going to wipe away all the tears from our eyes. He will take away sorrow. I remember the, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but the quote by C.S. Lewis, he said, there's some people that say, there is no future blessing that can make up for this present agony. There's a lot of agony in the world right now, and some of you are going through it, lost loved ones. Al just shared about some friends at work that just lost their son to suicide. There's a lot of pain in this world. But like Lewis said, the people that say that, they don't realize that heaven, once attained, will work backwards. And it will turn even those agonies into a glory. I believe Lewis was right on when he said that. It's like Sam, Sam Gamgee in Lord of the Rings. Mr. Frodo... Do you, remember, do you remember when they're huddled together outside the city and, and, and the, the Nazgul are coming over and it feels like the world's falling apart? He goes, is it true what they say in the old songs that someday all the, the evil will become untrue? I'm sure I'm misquoting Sam too, but uh, for the believers, for the believers, he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And the pains that we tasted so greatly here will somehow work together for our good and his glory. The Bible is not silent on that. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.17 For these light and momentary afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. There's There's a... a direct relationship with the, the sufferings, these present trials that we experience, and the producing of a weight of glory. I don't understand how it's going to work, but it's, that's what's promised for those who belong to Jesus Christ. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and then he will take away the reproach of his people from the earth from all the earth. Like I said a few moments ago, that Christians now many times are seen as the real problem in society. And God's people throughout history have suffered reproach and persecution. But there's coming a day when the Lord is going to take that away and he will vindicate his people. I'm not up here just rambling. What, you know what I'm trying to do? I am trying to stoke the fire in you and in me of anticipating, wanting Jesus, Jesus to come. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope. Dream about it. Think about it. Stay awake at night when you can't sleep and think about what is coming to me when he returns. 
And then, if you're not ready for his return, use it as an opportunity to confess your sins and throw yourself at his mercy while there's still time. And then we get to verse 9. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. Notice how all these other blessings terminate in the Lord himself. All these other things are simply sunbeams. You know, no more tears, uh, no more death. All these things are great. But the greatest, all these sunbeams go back to the sun itself. And the, the sun is being with the Lord. I say this, I, I love to say this, but he's the one that, it was his idea. Pepperoni was his idea. The coffee bean was his idea. Sex was his idea. All these things. This is, we're talking about God. God. Face to face with God. And we, it'll be said on that day, this, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let's be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Notice, we have waited for him. We have waited for him. We have waited for him. All through the Bible, the people that belonged to the Lord were waiting for him. Centuries ago, at his first advent, Simeon. Remember Simeon? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And when he saw the baby Jesus. <clears throat> Remember Anna, the prophetess? She went around and spoke to everybody about the baby who was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, Luke 2-38. All through the centuries, those who belonged to the Lord were waiting for his coming. And you know what? On that day, those who are waiting, who aren't, who aren't selling out to this world the treasures and the pleasures of this temporal world, but no, they're holding out they're holding out, they're holding on until Jesus comes. It'll be worth the wait. Verse 9, if it says anything, it's at least saying it, was, it is worth waiting for him. What, the, what does it mean to wait for the Lord? It doesn't just mean sit around twiddling my thumbs or playing video games. In the original language, the word conveys the idea of confident anticipation. Confident anticipation. I am confident, pretty confident, that my daughter's going to get here okay. But I'm anticipating. I'm confident and I'm anticipating wrapping my arms around that little Nika Emanuela and Miriam Rose and giving them hugs and kisses from grandpa. I'm anticipating it. The, the kind of waiting that's talked about here is a confident, we know he's coming. 
He came the first time, like he said. He said he's coming again. The grave is empty to prove that he is trustworthy and true. He's coming again, brothers and sisters. Are you waiting for him? I read a sermon yesterday called The the Expulsive Power of a Superior Affection by Thomas Chalmers. He's an old guy. But he said in his sermon, the, the heart always has to attach to something. You, you can't tell a person, do not love the world or the things in the world without giving them something better to love and treasure. I just want to say, you're attached, your heart is attached to something this morning. It is. You are trying to suck life from something. Don't, you know, if it's not Jesus, it's something. I don't know, but I... I the, the Bible makes it very clear that those who wait for him, who long for him, who, put their, who bank their hopes in him, and who believe that when he comes, it's going to make up for all the losses and crosses here, those are the people that will be able to say on that day, this is our God, we have waited for him. And notice the last phrase of verse 9, let's be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So the love that, that for all the time prior expressed itself in waiting, in confident anticipation. Now the love expresses itself in indulgence. (laughs) Psalm 16, verse 11. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So when he finally comes, there won't be any more waiting. It'll just be indulging. Being with him, drinking coffee. I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's going to be better than I can think of it. The Apostle Paul said near the end of his life, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and I know the time of my departure is at hand, but I've fought the fight, I've kept the faith, and there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. All who have loved his appearing. That means all those who love his next advent who long for it, who wait for it, anticipate it. I remember when I was a kid and preachers would talk about the second coming of Jesus and I was thinking, my mind, man, I, you know, I hope he didn't come too quick because I want to play football, I want to graduate, I want to I do some stuff. I want to do some stuff. And what I, the more I've read the Bible, the more I realize, oh, his coming will not be the end of doing stuff. It'll be the beginning. It'll be the beginning. So I, as I come to a close, as I try to, how can this joy of, this fi- of Jesus' final advent be mine? How can it be mine today? Well, the very first thing 
the very first thing is give yourself totally to Jesus Christ. Come like the prodigal. Come like the prodigal. Luke 15. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned in your eyes. I'm not worthy to be called your child. But just, would you just take me on as a hired guy? If you'll take me as I am, then take me and I'll be all yours. Like Like the publican in the temple who wasn't even look up to heaven, but beat on his chest and said, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. Can you do that? If you can do that, this man went home to his house justified, Jesus says. If you throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus Christ, he will hear you and he will save you. And his next advent will be the best day of your life. He who has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. 1 John 5, 12. Jesus also said in Matthew 10, 38 and 39, Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There is, for those who belong to Jesus, a universe of love and peace and joy and life and doing stuff in the very presence of God that will be brought to us at Christ's very soon-to-come advent. All of our tears will be wiped away. All of our waiting will be well worth it. All of this was bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And you know what you should hear in those words? I love you. I have loved you. Do you believe that I love you? Another old guy talking about the precious blood of Christ said this. How will it fill our souls with perpetual joy to think that in the streams of this blood we have swum through the violence of the world, the snares of Satan, the seductions of the flesh, the curse of the law, the wrath of an offended God, the accusations of a guilty conscience, and the vexing doubts and fears of an unbelieving heart, and we have arrived safely at the presence of God. Or, to put it like our memory verse had it just a couple of weeks ago, and I'll close with this, Jude one twenty four and 25, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. I said I was going to close with that, but I'm not quite. Okay, now I'm going to close. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we come away from sermons and I I have people say, well, what's the takeaway? What do I got to do? 
I, I just want to say something about the Bible. The Bible has a lot of commands in it, but you know the, you know the greatest thing about the Bible is the indicatives. This is what God has done. This is what God's going to do. Are you in? You can be in. Let's pray together. Precious Lord God, what a promise you've made to us in Isaiah 25. What kind of love is it that would go to such lengths for people like me Lord, you, you, don't, you don't just know me. You know me all the way to the bottom, even more than I know myself, and you still love me, and you gave yourself for me. Oh, Lord God, would you help us to believe the love that you have for us in Jesus, and would you help our hearts respond to that great love with trust, with confident, joyful anticipation of your next coming. You are so good. You are so great. We look forward to seeing you soon, Lord Jesus. If there's any in this room, Lord, that aren't sure that they're ready for that day, would you help them? Would you help us? Would you help us get ready by just confessing our need to you and throwing ourselves at your mercy and banking our hopes on you completely? I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.